You're listening to Sascapes, a podcast featuring the stories of arts, culture, and heritage in Saskatchewan. I'm Kevin Power, and my guest for this episode has been on my wish list of guests since last season. Jack Saddleback has a story that reaches into the very roots of his heritage as First Nations and draws from that heritage a source of strength and courage, the courage to live life authentically, and in doing so has made history. Currently serving as the University of Saskatchewan Student Union President, Jack is the first transgendered person in that role and lobbies passionately on issues surrounding mental health, LGBTQ and Two-Spirit rights, campus safety, and community engagement. As part of Intangible Cultural Heritage, this episode will inspire you to follow your heart. I am with Jack Saddleback, who has been on my wish list um, for quite some time now, and my wish has been granted, and um, I'm thrilled to be able to finally talk with you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you uh, very much for having me and for meeting with me. It's a really awesome opportunity, and I, I look forward to it. So let's start from the very beginning, as <laughs> as Julie Andrews would sing. Um, you were born in Alberta. Yes, I was born in Alberta. I am from the Samsung Cree Nation in Musquachese, Alberta. We uh, actually recently, Musquachese, went back to our original name, uh, which is Musquachese, and we are formerly Hobima, Alberta, if folks are wondering where that is. So that's central Alberta. However, I did grow up in Calgary. So. Right. And when did you come to Saskatchewan? I came to Saskatchewan in late 2010 for school. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So, let's talk about growing up. Um, what do you want to tell me about your, your life growing up? How was your family life? Well, my family life is, uh, was pretty interesting and, and good, actually. Uh, so, I, I, I do identify as a very out and proud, creed, two-spirit, transgender gay man. Uh, I, didn't, <laughs> I, I wasn't born identifying that right off the bat. It took a number of years for me to find out who I am and find out... Uh, my own identity but growing up my family was very much um, supportive of me in, in, in whatever identity that I just felt more most comfortable with I grew up the first four years of my life on the reserve uh, with my grandparents you know with my parents and it was a really interesting time because um, I was allowed to wear whatever clothes I wanted to you know I was allowed to to be whoever I wanted to be um, and that wasn't necessarily taken as a bad thing, you know. Me being born female um, and having my parents allow me to wear boys' clothes, allow me to play with boys' toys, allow me to, to be rough and tumble as, as I am, uh, was good for me to be able to get, like, a grounding in my in for the first stages of my identity. Um, 
so I was very much just a genderqueer kid, you know, just all around genderqueer. Are you an only child? No, I am the youngest of uh, six children. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we have uh, my my oldest brother is is ten years older than me, uh, but then my when my parents split up, uh, we we now have two more um, sisters who who came into our family. Uh, but I am the youngest of six kids, and uh, yeah. So, so how did your siblings respond to um, your identity as it was slowly developing? Well, the interesting thing about my siblings is, like, growing up, it, it there was no question about it. Like, you, you can be who you want to be. We are a culture of non-interference. Uh, so long as the child is happy, the community is happy, you know. Wow. Yeah. So it does take can a community. Can I sign up to be Cree? I want to hit the restart button and come back as Cree. I'll send you the membership card. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> oh, good, 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 good. I'll add it with my others. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, they're really awesome. Uh, you know, I've there 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 are a few times that I recall of about my my siblings being very open and and you know just you know, awesome. Uh, my Sister and I, uh, who's two years older than me, are, are fairly close. And uh, when we go out to powwows or whatnot, every once in a while, I'll be like, "Hey, you know, just uh, just introduce me as like your your brother, okay? Like I'm, I'm now your brother." She's like, "Okay, yeah, sure, we'll do that." So if that's any indication of uh, how how accepting um, my family members are, like that uh, carried on as I officially came out at a, at a later age. But but growing up, it was it was a good time. Uh, I. I did have some struggles. I'm not going to say it was it was like a paradise of some sort for for any gender queer kid. Uh, as I was going older and going into the school system, my parents, you know, they really started to um, encourage me to go into the female gender role and you know really start to to like wear more effeminate things and you know play with the girls a bit more. Start to help out with the dishes and cleaning. You know those those typical things that what you think about when when you think about the female gender role, um, but I, I do realize why they would do this. They didn't want to see me be bullied. You know, they didn't yeah. want to see me go through the pain of of uh, being the just the point of every joke. You know. Yeah. So as I went into school. Um, I, I I did see that there was a lot of bullying. I always got asked this question about like, are you a boy or are you a girl? You know, like what are you? You know, like, well I'm I'm me, you know, that's that's all I am. Um and with my parents also uh also encouraging me to to be more girly, you know, it created a lot of anxiety for me. Um and then in grade one, you know, my, my parents actually split up. So there was a, there was a lot of stress as a as a young person, uh having to having to deal with, with all of this. Um, that being going into school and uh, being bullied and having my parents split up and uh, yeah, so it was it was an interesting time. But you know, it it also got a little darker. And uh, I, I'm okay with sharing this this part of my my life story is because it did uh, shape a, a lot of the things that uh, I had to deal with as I as I grew older. Um, but I actually suffered some. Oh, I, I I'm a I'm a survivor of child sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And uh, this actually happened from uh, some family friends that that were in Calgary there, uh, and this was around the time when my parents were getting a divorce, and uh, you know, it could have been like shortly after that. 
I, I can't recall. It was, a, it was a long time ago. And you're around what age at this point? I'm about six, seven, right. around there. Yeah. So uh, there was a lot going on for 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 the young me, and uh, it That's created an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I I, I I very much love my family, and I, I love how how we all really came together and got that much closer by really leaning on one another and realizing that this is a hard time. Our parents are splitting up. Uh, my brothers went to boarding school for a while. Um, you know, it was. It was difficult. But Were your grandparents also supportive of um, your journey through um, finding your sexual identity? Um, were they? I mean, I'm thinking they were of a generation mm-hmm. prior to your parents. Was there any generation bias? At well, that I, level? I, I I never actually shared my sexual identity with my with my grandparents because who, whoever I'm going to love, they're they're going to like it or not, you know, okay, right. that's uh, that's their thing. And, uh, but it was the, it was the gender identity portion that I really wanted them to know when I, when I, when I got older, but, uh, mm-hmm. um, looking at how I was, how the interaction w- was like when I was younger, it was, uh, it was okay. You know, there was, there was still a lot of like girls do this and, and boys do that. Right. Um, and we grew up in the, na- well, I, I grew up in the native American church, which is, uh, um, this large um, ceremonial First Nations kind of uh, church. Okay, <laughs> that's the easiest way to say <laughs> okay. it. Yeah, so uh, that's the, the these are a series of ceremonies that uh, you know we all partake in. That being like sweats, pipe ceremonies, um, things like that. So, like growing up in in that area, and my grandparents being very much uh, involved in 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 that organization, in that uh, in that group, in that community, I should say, um, I got those little hints of uh, of of like you know, I'm not going to say it was a blatant transphobia or anything like that, but it was it was more or less like they they grew up in a different time, so they their understanding of like what gender is and and what uh, quote unquote. Bur- Girls and boys, <laughs> boys and girls. Listen, I'm all for boys. I can't repeat what you said. I don't girls and boys. Power to boys. Girls and boys. But they they came from a different time. So, uh, well, the goy is a non-Jew. Yeah, so, going, oh, yeah, there we go. Oh yeah, the tongue twisters, and it's interesting. Yeah, right, <laughs> like that's right. where my brain. Um, but yeah, there, there's like those little indications that you can pick up, and uh, me just being just just from the things that I've gone through throughout my life have uh, um, really honed my my listening skills, and you know, just I was actually talking to a friend uh, about about two spirit people and how the the challenges that we go through, we're always having to watch our back, you know, we're always having to like be up against the wall and look around to see like, are we safe? Like, are we okay? You know, like, am I okay? Am I going to be okay in this, in this environment here? Um, and it was, it was those little small interactions throughout my life of like someone saying, are you a boy or a girl? Or, you know, girls don't do this. Or like, why are, why are you dressing like that? It was those little indications that uh, really started to stand out for me. But my, my grandparents come coming back to that point are have been pretty supportive you know um when i was younger they would they would gift me like very girly things right Uh, but then i came out as trans and i was very open and honest about it with them and they started to slowly slowly gift me uh more masculine things like 
like a vest or, or a bolo tie, things like that. So it's, uh, it's interesting to note those, uh, those interactions and how they've changed throughout the years. Um, but I've never, I've never felt the need to, uh, share my sexuality with them. I'll share like who, who my partner is at the time, mm-hmm. you know, that being, you know, right now I'm getting, get, well, I'm engaged <laughs> to, uh, to a very fabulous, uh, man from Fairview, Alberta. His name is James. Uh, and he's, he's, I have no idea like how the universe was just, you know, you've had it tough. Let's, let's give you a break. And, and here's, here's the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And yeah. it's like, yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> Don't every guest I have cries on me. I'm burning yeah. into the Barbara Walters of podcast. Tell me, because um, we're just sort of assuming that everybody listening to this understands the term two-spirit. Um, tell me a bit about the tradition of, of two-spirit. It goes back mm-hmm. quite Away, quite away. So the interesting thing about uh, the the term, I'll, I'll start off with the term Two Spirit. It was actually coined in 1990 in Winnipeg uh, by a number of Indigenous uh, LGBTQ individuals who came together, and they realized that our our traditions as uh, queer Aboriginal people are not necessarily reflected in the in the terms and, and definitions that are used by the mainstream LGBTQ um, community. So that's where uh, Two Spirit came in. And Two Spirit has a number of definitions. And honestly, it depends on, on from person to person who, who you talk to, uh, because it is, it's more of like a personal definition that people can take on. And I'll, I'll, I'll get more into to how I define myself. Uh, but what they uh, wanted to acknowledge within Two Spirit is that uh, a person's cultural identity and a person's uh, gender and romantic identity are not necessarily separate, you know. They are one and the same, and you can't you can't separate that for you can't separate that for me. You're like I, I'm not just Cree, I'm not just gay, I'm not just trans. All of these things make up who I am, and that's what uh, Two Spirit means. It's those those things coming together. Um, now, Two Spirit uh, traditions in First Nations cultures talks about um, a person who is able to take on both female and male gender roles, and is able to. Uh, help out wherever they can in the community and the interesting thing about two-spirit folks is that uh everyone like, likes to think that oh they're, they're like you know there's amazing people who are like super powerful and can shoot like rainbows out of their eyes and it's like <laughs> <laughs> like no two-spirit two-spirit people isn't were, that that living <laughs> living rainbow oh, yeah, pony yeah, yeah. unicorn the thing more, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. yeah. yeah um but the interesting about the thing about like two-spirit people is that um they were a part of the community just like anyone else and their unique gifts and their talents were, were utilized to, to better the community in, in whatever capacity that they could. Uh, some took on roles as, as medicine people. Some took on roles as, uh, uh adoptive parents to, to orphaned, uh, children. Uh, some people, uh, took on roles as, as artists. There's this, uh, really famous, um, two-spirit, uh, person down from the, uh, there was a the Navajo tribe right. by the name of uh, Wiwa, and she was a two spirit individual who did a lot of basket weaving. And when they would go to the markets to go and sell their baskets, her baskets would actually sell twice as much as as any other artist out there, uh, just because of her her skill and and whatnot. Or 
So that's a little indication of uh, two-spirit folks. You know, they, they weren't necessarily seen as abnormal uh, in most tribes. You know, we can't really tell exactly from all the tribes, but the, the ones that we've been able to get some information from, um, for the most part, are very much talking about acceptance within the tribes, acceptance of, of who they are and respected as the unique individuals that they are. So it's, uh, it's interesting when you look at two-spirit folks. But it's, it's coming along. It's coming along. The, the Cree Nation has a tremendous um, opportunity to, to teach mm-hmm. on that level. That is very true. I think uh, the interesting thing about uh, the Two Spirit movement it is, it is actually on. It's 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 an unspoken movement that's been happening for a number of years. You know, with the gay rights movement coming out, with the uh, Native American uh, movement as well, um, or the American Indian movement, aim, uh, and how that's happened back in this. All of these things started out in the '60s, and I think that's where a lot of Two Spirit folks really started to see that they they now have a place to come back in or are, are, are a part of the communities. Uh, have never left the communities. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I should back up a little bit and how, how we got to this point. Uh, residential schools came into play. Uh-huh. Right. Re- residential schools are a sad part of our Canadian history. Mm-hmm. And within residential schools, they really started to hammer in this gender binary of boy and girl and left out, uh, you know, two-spirit individuals and, and those genderqueer folks who you know, were able to thrive in their communities. And some of the settlers who went across uh, America, I'll, I'll jump over to America right now, and, and some of those settlers who came and did all of the data collection about like, oh, they, this is how pre-contact looks like, um, they would leave out two-spirit people. There were two-spirit folks who are written in, in very small pieces in history books, so it's almost like a whisper, you know. Mm. There's a whisper mm. of two-spirit history out there, mm. but they would actually just leave them out of history books because they did not they did not like two-spirit people they didn't like the the idea of accepting individuals who are who are genderqueer or who are gay you know things like that so it's interesting to to note that because now when we go into residential schools coming back up to canada uh they they taught the gender binary and then they also uh put in like this this daily mantra of of christian Christianity and like right. all of the beliefs that come with that. And I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm very much a, um, a big supporter of, of individuals who uh, partake in their, in their culture in a, in a nice, kind and respectful way. Um, but this particular way within residential schools was very forceful. It was, it was pretty much like a detention center, you know. They weren't allowed to leave residential schools. They weren't allowed to see their parents. There are some sad photos that you can find that show some teepees right on the edge of a residential school because the parents weren't able to go and visit their kids, you know. So they were, the the children themselves were isolated, uh, having to learn a language that they didn't know, having to learn a culture that they didn't know, having to suffer physical and sexual abuse as well as mental abuse was, uh, was hard. So you can, you can just imagine the, the intergenerational trauma that is, uh, that has been put into First Nations cultures and communities. And um, this is where I think residential schools did the most harm was with uh, when you're when we're, when we're talking about two-spirit individuals. They did the most harm in, in teaching homophobia and transphobia. And it's sad to say that uh, it's still there in our communities. There's still a lot of individuals who um, 
aren't necessarily the the most understanding um, for whatever reason. But yeah, that's a, that's a little history 101. But uh, things have gotten better. Right. Yeah, as, as I was saying before, the the 1960s with the uh, gay gay rights movement and the uh, the American Indian movement, um, it was on those coattails that two spirit people were were starting to be able to get more of a political foothold going forward. And uh, with the 1990 um, term two spirit coming into play, we now had the ability to say like this 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 is our 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 word this this is where we belong as a as a community as a queer aboriginal community we now have a way to be able to identify with one another uh in whatever way that uh that 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 is you know there are two spirit folks who are trans identified uh there are two spirit two spirit folks who are who are cisgendered and and may identify as gay lesbian pansexual what what have you but two spirit itself is uh it's it's a term that queer aboriginal people can take on However, I should also say not all do, but that's a okay. Yeah, that's up to them. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me at what age you were when you owned your trans identity. Um, finally, started to own own that. I mean, up and there was a point of of sussing things out and sort <laughs> yeah. of feeling it out, feeling it out, living true to yourself, making sure that you lived in a way that you weren't being bullied. Mm -hmm. But then eventually when it was time to just own it for yourself, Mm -hmm. when, when did that happen? Hey, it's Kevin. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Just a quick reminder that the Sascapes podcast is available for free on your favorite podcast app, or you can stream it from your browser. Check out the show notes for the link. On the Sascapes homepage, you'll notice something new under the logo called Sascapes Plus. You can't miss it. There's a big button saying support with a heart icon next to it. I'd love it if you could click on that button and help keep this podcast series going. When Sascapes launched in May 2014, it was the first podcast in the province celebrating arts, culture, and heritage. In fact, you'd have been pretty hard-pressed to find any Saskatchewan podcast. So I'd like to think that we paved the way. It's been because of your support that this podcast is now in its ninth year. Okay, that's it. Enjoy the rest of the episode. That's that's an interesting thing that you bring up in regards to the pre-transition transition time, <laughs> yeah. because that that is that did take a while for me. <clears throat> I started off uh, doing drag, and that's where I realized, like, wow, this this being a masculine all the time, being a man all the time, is you know it's nice, you know. So performance helped for me to figure out my own identity, and then uh, you know I started trying it at home and in, in my bedroom, and then my bedroom out into the house out into the house down the block down the block and into school things like that um but i didn't start to uh really own it until probably about a a year or two maybe two and a half later um it was at the age of 18 when when i knew like this is this is me you know like i i can be me all the time i don't have to think like i have to choose between either or you know, I can just be Jack. And uh, I started feeling out names. I think that's that's where, where my... Okay. Because I, I was going by Cheyenne for, for a number of years. That's what my 
my my my full name is Serena Cheyenne Saddleback, and and Serena is is my first name, but my sister is Sabrina. So <laughs> whenever my mom would get mad or whatnot, she'd yell one of us one of us over. That we'd both come running because our names are so similar. So they're like, "We're gonna call you Cheyenne." <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm cool. Uh, so I've already gone through one name change throughout my life. So uh, it was interesting to 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 look at these names and to find out like what would I like to like to do, and. Um, at the age of 18, I, I went through a couple of different names, um, but then I realized I'm going about this all wrong. You know, I need I need to find out why why are these names not working for me? And for me, it just kind of clicked that my parents need to need to do this. You know, I'm their I'm their kid. Uh-huh. You know, I'm I'm their child. They raised me. I'm here. You know, I'm alive. I'm thriving. I think they should also have uh, um, have some say in this as well. So uh, I went over to my mom, you know, because she's my life giver. You know, she birthed me, she held me for nine months, ten months, whatever. Uh, and I, I asked her, Mom, what would you have named a boy if you, if you would have had one? She had no idea. <laughs> so then I went to my dad. Like, Dad, what would you, what, what, what do you have, would have named a boy if you would have had one? He had no idea. <laughs> so both of my parents, my my uh, my birth parents, uh, that being my mom and my dad, had no idea. And then I, I was like, ah. And then it, and then um, I went over to my stepmom, and uh, she's actually. Uh, this is an interesting story uh, in, in regards to our relationship as uh, stepmom and, and, and a son. Um, I take her as a third parent. Because I've I've known her since I was I don't know, like eight, nine, ten, something like that, and she uh, she helped me out a lot when I was going through uh, my depression and, and my suicide and and uh, my suicidal um, attempts. She she was there, she was there to to drive me to queer youth groups, you know, when I when I when I wanted to, and you know that was hard for us, especially living out uh, where we were. It would it would take a long time to get to uh, to the queer youth groups, but she understood that you know it's important for for this young person to be able to identify with other young people and to see themselves. So I I, I, uh, I admire her a lot for for really stepping up and uh, and and being a mom, you know, and, and just just doing it. I wasn't living with my mom at the time when I was going through the suicidal uh, stuff, just because it was it was it was a bit too much. Uh, in Calgary, so I, I moved to Hobima with with my dad and my stepmom and my two younger sisters. But um, this is prior to you be prior is, to your eighteen. Yeah, you're this not is prior, eighteen yet. No, I'm I'm about okay. f- fourteen here with the suicidal thoughts. And is that yeah. could you link at that time, or do you now link um, the depression to part of that journey of? Of coming out was that what that was about? There, there are a number of layers to that, but I definitely think that uh, coming into into puberty, it, would, it was almost I felt like I was being pushed to to a, like a cliff edge, you know, and there was no way of stopping it. And I started getting very depressed. I started getting very, uh, very moody, you know, hormones and all that puberty. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I I couldn't really put my my finger on on what what the issues were. Uh, I knew like the 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 uh, child sexual abuse that was that was a factor in things uh having to deal with my sexual identity as well was also a factor in things uh but i didn't realize that the that that the gender identity and the um 
the, the puberty being linked into all of this was something that uh, was apparent to me, you know. But now when I look back, like, no, I was pretty depressed because I, I wasn't able to, to fully express myself. You know, I, I didn't feel the freedom of being able to do that. I wasn't able to talk about and wasn't comfortable talking about my, uh, my child sexual, sexual abuse at that time and the trauma that it gave me. I wasn't able to feel free in expressing who I, I was infatuated with, you know, things like that. So uh, when I was going through that depression, you know, my, my stepmom was, was very much uh, there for me, which is awesome. All my parents were, were there for me. Um, but uh, she, she was just able to help out in, in, in ways that I didn't, I didn't really know, that being like taking me to queer youth groups, uh, that being helping me uh, stay on my, my medication and, and do all of that, that being antidepressants so I could go through. And uh, just, just being there, which was good. And uh, so when I come back to the name thing, that's where that's where my third parent came into play. And I went I went over to uh, to my stepmom, and I was like, "What would you named? What would you have named a boy if you would have had one?" And even before I finished that question, I couldn't even finish it. She automatically said Jack, hmm. and it just felt right. You know, it just felt right. And I was like, "Yeah, Jack, Jack. That's that's me." <laughs> So, uh, so I think uh, once I found like my my name and and, and all of that, I, I think like that's when I was really like, here I am. I'm I'm feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, you mentioned um, antidepressants as being that's the the medical model that we're most familiar with, but yeah. I read somewhere that you also um, found healing through um, traditional therapies within within your own culture. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, so the interesting thing about uh, com- coming back to when I was about 14 years old and I, I, we all lived on the reserve for about a year, year and a half, uh, and that's when I was going through my really deep depression and uh, suicidal thoughts. Um, one, one, of the, one of the things that uh, I really attribute to my healing and my road to recovery is traditional ceremonies. That being, I partook in a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, Native American church meetings, um, sweats as well, things like that, and just praying and, uh, and, and going to a school that was actually uh, invested in indigenous cultures, in, in, in the Cree culture. Uh, I went to the Ermanskin Junior Senior High School during that time, and every morning they would have uh, this bowl of, uh, of sweetgrass and sage burning there as, as people were coming into, into class. And every time we would have, uh, have an assembly or things like that, uh, we would always have like a welcome from an elder. And, you know, like First Nations cultures was just intertwined with the education system at, at, at that particular school. Um, but coming back to the, to the ceremonies and how that helped me, you know, it was good to be able to find my identity as a First Nations person uh, and really know that it's okay to, to lean on my community and, and let them know, like, I'm hurting right now and I, I need help. And uh, they heard and, and they helped, which was pretty awesome. Hmm. Yeah, but the medication, you know, I was on that for, for a while as well. And I just needed to retrain my brain, you know, really needed to get it out of those ruts that it was stuck in of like depression of constantly putting myself down I need to stop and retrain it and uh, you know that's that's where the medication portion of things went into play some folks you know um, have some hard time looking at medications and, and feeling like they don't need it and that's okay like not everyone does and not everyone everyone's road to recovery is different and you know I struggled as well with uh, whether or not I wanted to 
go on medications. Uh, but actually, my my stepmom, you know, she she told me uh, a really good thing. She said, you know, if if a person's sick and you know they they need something like like medicine, I, th- I think she used a, a diabetes reference. You know, if if they're if you need insulin, then you know you need insulin, things like that. But if you don't want it, that's that's okay. You can do other things. So it was uh, it was interesting. So I need to reconcile my own stigma behind medications, and after that, you know, it was it was uh, it was okay in regards to my road to recovery because I had the the medication, I had uh, my my uh, my cultural ceremonies, and I also had the queer youth groups that I went to. So those those things uh, really played a lot in in me being able to get my feet back on the ground and to find out, you know, what do I do now? Where where can I go? And uh, what's my path? You know. So when did you own Jack? <laughs> when did I? I was probably about like nineteen or or twenty when I, because I I was going through that weird transition of like what name did I want and then uh, that's when uh, when I swept, my stepmom said like Jack and I was like that's my name there we go luckily enough it rhymes too so <laughs> right yeah right and but then you had to yeah. go around and tell everybody that you were now wanting to be called Jack yeah yeah so. Um, Is that typical that part of the um, transition for someone, I mean, obviously you can't make generalizations because everybody's road is different, but is owning a name sort of uh, sort of ground zero of where you start with this? Do you, do you, do you, long before any kind of consideration around physical transformation happens, do you own a name? I don't believe so. Okay. Yeah. I, I think uh, the social transition within that self, like the the community transition, uh, it takes a number of a number of years, you know. And it it didn't start with my name because I was out by that point um, as as being transgender, as being a man. Um, I just didn't have a have a concrete idea of like what name did I want or what what name is is me like this identity that's been uh, suppressed for so long. I didn't have a I didn't have a name for it. And uh, for my understanding and my my own understanding of my my journey is that the the transit the social transition happened long before the name. The name just helped to to give voice to my identity that's been suppressed for so long, and now people can see who I am, and now they can be like, "Oh, hello, Jack." You know, they 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 weren't able to say that before, so. Now they can, and this is who I am, and it's uh, it's really uh, empowering to to go out there and be like, this is this is this is me, you know, this is who I should have been like all, all along. But uh, you know, I had to go through a number of challenges to be able to find out who uh, who I am, and I'm also kind of, kind of grateful that uh, just for my whole journey, you know, it's it's strange to to say that, but it's uh, it's it's good because I I know myself that much that much better. I'm going to ask a question and I have no idea how to ask it because I'm, and I'm, there's a part of me that's ashamed of the fact that I'm a part of the LGBTQ community and still I don't know the political correctness around a lot of things because I grew up in a very, very different time. Um, But, and especially now, because we're living in a time when we've got people saying, I identify as being black and they're white. 
um, you know, and they've represented the right. Indo yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um I don't want to date this podcast, but that's what's current in our in our yeah. in our news headlines right now. But you know, so what about the person that says, "Well, what do you mean you're telling people you identify as male?" I mean, clearly, you're going through puberty and you're developing as a female. So, how do you convince? yourself and then other people that for all intents and purposes you are you are physically growing as a female yet you're telling people you identify as a male well i think the interesting thing about like nowadays it's it's awareness about the human experience itself everyone is different and we all have our own paths that take place but everyone goes through the same human experience of finding out uh four identities, sometimes five. Uh, the first one being your gender identity. This is what's between your ears. This is uh, your internal perception of, of who you are. Then there's your gender expression. That's how you express that gender identity, that being your clothes, your mannerisms, the roles that you take on. Uh, the third identity would be uh, your birth sex. So that's uh, the genitals. That's like what's between your legs. And then there's the, the fourth, which is the romantic identity. And that's what I like to joke about as uh, the legs that you want to be between you know so every individual goes through these identities and regardless of wherever you 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 stand on the spectrum of each of those identities you are normal as an individual you know you are normal as a human being and i think the the only convincing that needs to happen is is the actual awareness of these identities that everyone goes through and we are in a different time. We're in a time where we can connect with people wherever they're at, and we can use language that is familiar to them so they can start to build on their awareness about, oh, you know, every human is different. You know, every human goes through different things, and that's a-okay if they're different from me. You know, they could be they could be uh, born male and identify as male, or they could be born male and identify as female. Like, that's, that's a-okay. Or they could be loving... A man and, and identify as a man like regardless the human experience is very unique and, and pretty cool if if you ask me like i i'm a sociology major so i like to look into into cultures and look into people looking look into society and how how are we progressing how how are these systemic discriminations keeping the most vulnerable still in that place of vulnerability um so when i think about convincing and it isn't really convincing it's it's awareness really but yeah. i would it feels to me like that's a, an incredibly um, forward-thinking um, place to be in one's life, and it doesn't feel to me like culture on the whole, mainstream culture, has not embraced that way of thinking yet. I mean, we're still trying to get our heads around, were you born gay or is it, are you a product of, is it nature or nurture? I mean, so then to go to this whole other level of these four stages that you talked about, it's just, I, it doesn't feel like the world is coming along for the ride quite yet. I mean, are, are we living in a bit of a bubble as far as we're, we're, we have the luxury of choosing the community and friends that we want that reflect the way we live, move through life, but generally does the world support that? Well, the, uh, people like to call me a dreamer, and I'm a okay, okay. with that type of uh, that type of title. Okay. Uh, I I'd like to, uh, you know, as Gandhi says, be the change that you want to see in the world. Right. And as I'm going out there doing these talks and with communities that you know at times can be hostile towards 
trans individuals can be hostile towards gay individuals. Um, I'd be okay with, with going out there and putting myself out there as, as a person because I want to see a better tomorrow for those young people who are coming up. I want to see a better education for them. I want to see a, a better social interactions for them because I think about my social interactions as a young person and how difficult it was for me just to, just to be alive. I don't want that difficulty to be for other young people. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they're going to identify as. I, I don't know where they're going to come from. But I do know that I want to see them in a world that is going to love and respect them for who they are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, backtracking a bit. When do you make the decision to begin a physical transformation? Um, that would that would definitely be like a person to person basis. I know for myself, I, I I I couldn't identify with my voice. I think if that that would be like the the number one thing when I look at these older videos that I have. It's strange. It's almost like it's, uh, it's such a disconnect that I feel within myself. Like I, 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 I know that's me, but that's that's also not me. You know, when I when I see older videos and I, and I see uh, me talking, you know, it 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 doesn't feel like me. You know, but now when I see myself uh, talking now and I and I hear my voice, I I connect with it. Like that's that's me. That's who I am. You know. So I, it's interesting to feel that at ease with oneself now when before it was so much uh, anxiety it was so much I don't know kind of kind of like isolation within oneself and when I was thinking about uh, going through physical transition as, as a transsexual person like uh, not all transgender people use medical um, what we call quote-unquote interventions uh, to transition but for myself I chose to go on testosterone because I, I, I wanted to feel like me i wanted to connect with me and since then you know it's just been almost feels as if like testosterone should have always been in my system mm. and my brain works differently now uh, i feel more at ease you know my anxiety levels are down my, my depression levels are down and it's uh it's interesting yeah i'd like to dispel the myth that People can just walk randomly into their doctor's office and say, I'd like to physically change my gender now. That it's that no. that the medical model out there isn't making this an overnight procedure, you know, or day surgery mm. or anything. Like this is a this is a well thought out, carefully considered, guided I mean, I'm assuming, I know people who have, you know, had to go through um, a lot of counseling as well mm -hmm. um, in conjunction with their doctor um, to make sure that emotionally they're mm -hmm. ready to embrace this. I mean, is that true? Oh, Kevin, you, you, would, uh, you would not imagine the amount of hoops that a trans person has to jump through just to get basic health care first off, but also to try and uh, just start the actual medical transition um, I, when I first came out, I was living in Calgary at the time, so I was about 18, 18 around when, when I was out as a trans person and uh, was thinking about going on testosterone. Then I, I believe I turned 19, I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And this is kind of like a rough formula that happens from province to province, but every province is different. So within Alberta, you have to go see a, a, a psychiatrist uh, for about a year as they put you through, quote-unquote, a real-life test. 
And this is where you are living as the gender that you uh, will be transitioning into. Uh, and you have to be that gender 24-7, you know. So you have to be you 24-7 before they even consider going on uh, testosterone or estrogen, things like that. And that's huge because after that, uh, when I was living in Calgary, they actually um, they, they took off trans health uh, and, and took out the, cut the funding for it. So as a young person, I was halfway through my, my real life test with my psychiatrist and they cut the funding and I was like, what do I do now? I can't afford any of this. Right. That being um, surgeries and, and what have you. And it's not unheard of that uh, those, those hoops happen in every province. Here in Saskatchewan, um, I'm not too entirely sure about the uh, the beginning stages. They're they're the same rough formula. Uh, but when I came here, I was already out for five years, and my story is, is a little bit different from individuals who would be here in Saskatchewan and then starting to transition. Because I was out for five years and going through the medical system in in Alberta, and then came here, found my doctor said, "Hey, I want to start testosterone," um, and told them my story. And they're like, "Oh, well, you already kind of you already know who you are. You've already gone through the processes over in Saskatchewan." So they sent me over to the uh, endocrinologist right away, and then and then I went to go see the psychiatrist uh, just to do a little bit of follow up to ensure that everything's you know um, that. I'd be okay because you're going through a second puberty, you know, and puberty within itself is right. It's, 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 it's kind of a hard thing to go through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, it is a lot of hoops to go through. I also feel that when we're looking at surgeries here in Saskatchewan, they only cover 25% of the actual surgery cost, whether or not, uh, you're, you're a female to male or, or male to female. That's only 25% of, of the surgery costs. So, uh, that doesn't include like transfer or transportation to and from. That doesn't include, uh, accommodations, what have you. You know, all those little things that add up to quite a lot of money. Uh, none of that is covered. And you can only get that 25% back after you, you pay up front and then get the reimbursement. And we don't have anyone who does, uh, top surgeries here in Saskatchewan, nor do we have anyone who does uh, phalloplasties, which is uh, quote-unquote bottom surgeries, uh, for trans women, um, that being male to female. I'm not too entirely sure what um, doctors would be readily available in this province, but it's sad to see that trans folks are, are just not able to get the basics of care. Um, and being put through so many hoops, it's, it's interesting. However, one of the uh, good things that I'd like to, <laughs> on the brighter side, uh, the Saskatchewan government recently put on the uh, Saskatchewan Human Rights Code. It now includes gender identity as uh, something that a, a person cannot discriminate against. You know? So that's that's pretty big. And with uh, with other provinces, if history has told us anything, once that gets on the Human Rights Code, then other things will start coming along, such as healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. Did it feel like a window opened up when you were finally on the other side of your transition? Um, I think I'd, I would call it like a different stage in my transition. And a window totally did open. I, I just felt like so much at ease, like it was a big sigh of relief. You yeah. Know? yeah. Because for a number of years, I was having to go through these hoops in Alberta uh, where folks were telling me, oh, you're too young. You, you don't, this is just a phase. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have to wait for like a year or two before you even get on in. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, 
I've, I've already gone through all the things that, that you've wanted me to, and you're still making me go through more hoops. So now when I came here, it, it just ever so happened to work out perfectly. Like the universe was just like, here you go. You know? um, but that's not every story. That's, that just happens to be mine. Right. Yeah. And then another window of opportunity opens for you. And now I realize I'm fast forwarding here, but we're sitting here at the student union office at the University <laughs> of Saskatchewan, and you're th not the first First Nations um, uh, student union president, but you are the first trans um, person. Mm. That must have felt amazing on a whole bunch of levels, but do you do you feel tremendously proud of this university that they are in a mindset where that would even be considered a possibility? Kevin, it honestly feels like a dream. You know, it right. it feels like this this isn't even real. And uh, I say this because it's uh, it's it's the best of scenarios in regards to what has transpired throughout this this last little while and i am completely humbled um by the university by by the students here who saw my skills saw my experience and saw my passion for change here on campus and didn't necessarily take into account that uh, all my identities uh, you know that's that's who i am but they didn't see it as as a as a shortcoming you know they, they saw it as a an added bonus, you know, oh, you happen to be gay, oh, you happen to be trans, oh, you happen to be First Nations, good for you. Uh, but we see that you have these skills, we see that you have the experience within the USSU, and we see that you have had the passion for a number of years in creating change here on campus. Um, and I remember the election day, and I remember, oh, no, first, I'm going to rewind and, and go back to even considering running. I had no idea that I that I wanted to at all, at all. Yeah, because you could have very easily been setting yourself up as a big dartboard to just yeah. be lambasted. <laughs> Huge um, dartboard. Yeah. Because uh, I, I thought like I thought my identities were going to be a factor in people not voting for me. I thought people were going to say I was too brown. Uh, I thought people were going to say, you know, he's too gay. I thought people were going to say, oh, well, he's he's trans, you know, what have you. And... It wasn't until uh, about 30 minutes before the actual nomination period time closed uh, when I was talking with a friend, uh, a really good friend of mine, and uh, her, her name is Annie Batiste, so a little shout out to her. And I was talking with her and she said, you know what, Jack, you have to give them the chance. Yes, you are First Nations. Yes, you are gay. Yes, you are trans. But you have to give them the chance to choose whether or not they're ready for it. And it turns out they are. Did any darts get thrown? If there were, I didn't hear about them. Right so, uh, you know, my my support, my my, my, my circle of support is uh, is really awesome. And uh, any time that you know, there are, there are times where there are some not pleasant things said, but I'm able to go go to them and, and really like kind of like decompress and be like, okay, this person may have had just a bad day, or this person just is not understanding of the issues, things like that. But uh, if there were darts thrown, I I didn't hear about them. And uh, I went into this, this whole thing with uh, very much a humbled mindset, that being, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not doing this for me, I'm doing this for, for change. 
because I want I want to see a sexual assault policy here on campus. We don't have one, and sexual assault is a huge issue here at the U of S. And I want to see a mental health strategy because we don't have one as well. It was a interesting time going into the elections, and all all the way through, my my partner James actually didn't want me to run. He saw the amount of stress that uh, the vice president position gave me, but I I honestly had no idea. Um, really what I was getting into when I came into the vice president's position last year as the uh, student affairs portfolio. So it was, uh, it was an interesting time. But I think once, once I really committed to this, he, he understood like, okay, like you, you really want to see this, this happening go through. And uh, since I made that decision, he is super supportive. He was there during the uh, the postering night when we put everything up. You know, he was out there talking with people as well. Uh, and you know, he's been the best first lady you could ever ask for. <laughs> 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 is that a title he's owning? Or That's a title given? he's owning. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. A little bit of Jackie O right there. <laughs> right. 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 Oh, yeah. the wardrobe possibility. <laughs> right. Um, but. Um, and but you were also uh, given an important role within the mental health community of this province. Yes, um, they're twofold there. So I've been sitting on the Mental Health Commission of Canada's Youth Council for the past five years, and I'm the Saskatchewan rep. And then last year, I was also a part of this national campaign called the Faces of Mental Illness, which is a national anti. anti- anti-stigma campaign in regards to mental illness. Uh, so I w- was one of five faces from across Canada. And it was, uh, it, was, it was pretty big because I think that it was the very first time that they started to be able to talk about uh, trans issues on a national level in conjunction with uh, mental illness and how society, you know, the way it's created can create a lot of stress for people who are genderqueer, who fall outside of the gender binary, or who don't want to adhere to the to the gender binary, and how that can create a lot of depression and anxiety and uh, at times lead to suicide. And the statistics are pretty high, and we need to stop that. Yeah. You couldn't have possibly imagined when you were 14, but... What would you tell your 14-year-old self now, knowing how this road has um, has rolled out before you? Um, I know that there have been struggles along the way. I don't want to make it sound like it's just been a bed of roses, but it really is um, quite uh, an inspiring journey that you've led. But when you were 14, you wouldn't have felt this at all, um, and things felt pretty black. So what do you tell somebody who's 14 that feels like you did when you were 14? If I were to be able to sit down with my 14-year-old self and, and look him in the eye, I'd, I'd tell him this, this world, yes, it is a harsh place. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's a tough place. But it also can be a very beautiful place. There's a lot of opportunities out there. And it'll take time, but you have a lot to give as a person. And I just think about like that day when I was uh, when I was actually holding the knife in my hand, and I and I had some blood coming down from my arm. I remember being on in Nose Hill Park in Calgary there because it's a uh, it's known as as a place where First Nations people gather. Um, 
and I wanted I wanted to end my life there because I wanted to be with my people. And I remember uh, taking that knife, and I had it on 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 my wrist here, and I still have the scars. Uh, and I was cutting, and I all of a sudden had this this feeling inside me of like, no, not now, like it's not your time. And I want young people to know that life is good. We need to work together to be able to make it better for others. And there's a world of experiences out there that you couldn't even fathom. But when you get there, don't look back because there's so much more to come. You met the queen. <laughs> oh yeah, I met, I met the queen. Yeah. Uh, that, that the was, queen. Uh, the just, queen. Yeah. <laughs> just to be clear, we're talking the queen. <laughs> yeah, the queen of England. There. Yeah, she. Uh, um, so I, I entered into this art contest with a number of uh, youth from across Canada, um, and it was it was for the Canadian Museum of Human Rights through this organization. I, I, Ignite, I believe, was the uh, contest name. And they asked for art pieces that would talk about human rights. And I took this photo of myself, uh, and it's, it's just myself uh, wearing a beaded vest. And the reason why I took it, uh, and the angle that I, that I took it at shows a lot of like resilience and a lot of, I feel like, like empowerment and, and, and power in there. And what I want to talk about was Aboriginal rights and transgendered rights because I'm a very ambiguous individual in that particular photo so you can't necessarily tell whether or not I'm a, a male or female um, so I submitted that and they said oh this is pretty awesome why, why don't you uh, they, well I, I went for Alberta and uh, then they flew us out to, to Winnipeg and it wasn't until we got in Winnipeg that we found out that we were going to meet the queen and that she was going to see our artwork and uh, I think that was that was just a also a very humbling experience and really really strange so when i think about like those those experiences that i'm talking about where you can't even fathom what you're going to get into uh, because life is just that strange you know i didn't know that i was ever going to be flown out to, to winnipeg have a limo pick me up and like it was it was just this weird weird time uh because i grew up in poverty so to go through all of this and and, and to have like these fancy foods and like these tours for for places and then to also have like the queen the prime minister was there at the time the the uh her, her husband as well the the duke um and all these other quote-unquote important people uh were there and there i am like this little little trans kid <laughs> and uh i had some long hair at that time because i was trying to grow it out to, for, for for uh for my culture um and it was just so baffling to think that I would be in that position and I was also feeling a lot of emotion because I, I, th I thought about my younger self and about like you would have never known that you would be here but you kept going and you, you, you kept thinking like, there's got to be something there's got to be something not now you know it's not your time to take your life and I am forever grateful for that young person for putting down that knife and, and allowing um this story to continue and, and, and for this story to also help empower other people. Because I don't want another young person to, to take their life because they feel that they don't belong in this world.
So we have to complete the trifecta. We've mentioned First Lady, we've talked about the Queen, but there's also a princess. A princess. Oh. Uh, Wait. <laughs> Go back to your childhood. <laughs> yeah, that's right. My dog. Right. <laughs> yeah, my, do- this, my, my dog was actually... Uh, uh, I'm glad that you bring that up. She... Uh, my... I... I I just think about her from time to time and how uh, how lovable she was. Uh, okay, my dog is actually a wolf husky cross, and my parents got her from my uncle who was uh, living out in uh, I, th- I think it was uh, Rocky Boy, um, and he he gifted this dog to us right when it was like just a little pup. And I grew up with this dog for about twelve years. We we had to leave her on the res because you know she's a little bit too big to move to Calgary with us. Uh, but every time I would come back, like she'd recognize me. You know, she's like, "Oh, hey!" <laughs> like, um, she's the best dog ever. She passed away when I was about twelve years old, and I still remember uh, um, seeing her and how like she died in her sleep and how peaceful that must have been for her. And she lived a really long and, and good life. And you know, she was a big protector for me and. Uh, just uh, my my best friend, you know. I want to bust one final stereotype here. This is probably the hardest thing to grapple with. But here it goes. You don't like corn. <laughs> no. <laughs> and you are First Nations. How do you live with yourself? I think a lot of people ask me that as well. <laughs> I just, I just don't like it. You know, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's something that I, um, like you could be trans, you can be gay, <laughs> you can be whatever, but corn, but he doesn't like corn. corn. <laughs> like that's just a, a blatant betrayal of your culture. Oh, I know. <laughs> I make up for it though. I'll only eat it in ceremony. That is, that is the only okay. place where I will eat corn. How is it eaten in ceremony? Oh, just the way it is, you know. Okay, on just, the cob. Uh, well, they, uh, most part, most people like take it off the cob. Okay, uh, but yeah, so that's the only place I'll eat it. I anywhere else, you know, if there's corn in in a certain dish, I won't I won't order it. You know, <laughs> but if it's popped, you're okay with it being popped. I love popcorn. <laughs> I love popcorn. Right. Okay, so you're just you're just sweet, and otherwise you yeah. might lose your card completely. <laughs> there you go. Got to take your status card. Sorry. Right. right. <laughs> I hope you're proud of yourself, is all I can say. I, I, I know you, we've talked about, you know, how proud we are of the university for being so open-minded, but dang, you've got to be proud of yourself. Thank you. I, uh, I, I, I always bring it back to that young person I, I'm of, of, of my past, and I'm proud of that person for jumping into the unknown, you know. I'm proud of the uh, community that I've had proud of the family that I've been able to be blessed to, to be born into and to create around myself as well. Yeah. I'm proud of the support that they give me. I'm, I'm proud of uh, the students here. And um, at times, you know, I, I reflect and I'm pretty proud that I took the risk. I took that opportunity to jump into the unknown, not knowing where it would go. And I just would love to see other people be uh, inspired to to take the leap as well. Well, the jumping isn't over yet for you. There'll be be many more jumps that you take, and may they all be a smooth landing. A frequent flyer, let's just put it that way. (laughs) Jack, thank you so much for sharing your story. 
No, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Sascapes podcast is created and hosted by Kevin Power for Sass Culture. Funding to the cultural sector is provided through the Saskatchewan Lotteries Trust Fund for Sport, Culture, and Recreation. For more information, visit iHeartCulture.ca and SaskCulture.ca. Music for Sascapes is provided by Saskatchewan-born singer-songwriter Jeffrey Straker. There's no end to the stories to be told. So, until next time...